prior to your Tuesday night evening entree into Jewish thinking. We're studying the Hachotah of Harambam. We have noted how all-encompassing the Rambam actually is. In ten chapters, the Rambam takes us through various halachic, psychological, philosophical, and even, of course, eschatological issues that all involve in Anir Teshuvah. We're going to focus tonight on some of the eschatological issues that are involved. Eschatological, from the Greek word eschatos, which means doctrine of final things. Things that do with the ultimate end of the soul or of the world. The Rambam builds a comprehensive picture of what Teshuvah is all about out of mainly Talmudic, Midrashic sources, of course utilizing various verses when it suits his fancy. But also one should never think that the Rambam is, as he builds, is not innovating as well. The Rambam is an extraordinary creative, extraordinary creative, innovative thinker. Sometimes he tells you this, sometimes he doesn't tell you this. And you have to make the distinctions as to when the Rambam says certain things that are strikingly innovative and yet says it in a context so clear and so simple and so seamless from his Midrashic sources, you don't know that he's innovating. I'm going to raise the question later on in our Halakha bit, which comes from outer space, and yet you would have no cool discussion about it. So you'll say, of course this is true, but I'm going to challenge you and say, prove it to me. Then we'll bring in the Nashi and a number of other commentaries that actually will disagree with the Ram I'm saying over here. And yet we're going to see how, from the Ram's point of view, as a good teacher, sometimes you have to state a case in black and white terms without allowing for any kind of divergent opinions. There's a time and place when you want to argue an issue out. At a committee meeting, in certain classroom situations, that's true. Other times, you want to state your position clearly, unequivocally, black and white. This is the route you have to take. If you're talking to your child about drugs, let's say, you're not going to negotiate, maybe I could smoke marijuana on Tuesdays and Thursdays and have heroin on Wednesday nights. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. Maybe I could, uh, instead of doing that, maybe I could, Dad, let's be reasonable, be, be compromising. Maybe I could drink on Friday nights in honor of Shabbat and just get drunk and spaced out. That's not okay either. Well, what are you going to give in? Nothing. Well, how could you say that? We have to negotiate. It's compromise. In certain areas of life, there are no compromises. It's black and white issues. As a teacher also, you're not going to debate the relative merits or demerits of premarital sex. You're not going to do that. You're going to tell your children there's absolutely a no over here. And if, in fact, you do engage in this kind of situation, then we are going to be very upset about this. We don't engage in premarital We just don't do it. Period. And certain lessons have to be communicated to your congregation, to your community, to your synagogue, to your family, to your spouse, perhaps, and from your spouse to you, in an unambiguous, clear fashion. Raman does that generally throughout Mishneh Torah. There are issues that's true where he brings in second and third opinions. But very, very rarely. Very rarely. The Ramam gave us as a practical book as a black and white, no-nonsense, clear statement as to what all issues are all about. For that reason, he gets condemned. For that reason, he gets criticized. For that reason, he almost is banned from the citadels of yeshiva learning. And of course, his books were burnt on three different occasions for that very reason. The Rambam was not willing to tolerate in a certain context discussions. He decides the issue, whether you like it or not. That's the greatness of Mishneh Torah, but of course you might argue also that's a drawback. You may be of the type of person that wants other opinions, or you may find a need to hear other opinions. The Rambam, when he writes Mishneh Torah, Mishneh Torah, not interested in that. Not interested in making you happy. He's interested in presenting to you a total philosophy and halacha of Judaism. So therefore, Chodesh Shavah is similar to that, where he will, in fact, now raise certain issues that we are going to show, and we've seen already, that is going to cause him to be banned from certain areas of learning. No less than the thought of the case of Mishnah and the Ra'avad both condemn that which he says over here, but when he says it over here, you would have no clue that there are other possible opinions at all, as you'll see in a moment. Now, the fifth chapter of the Chodesh Shavah speaks about Bechirah Hofshit, obviously very relevant to Teshuvah itself. We've already gone over in a very um, summary form 
all the ten chapters. Once you get a sense of the scope of what the Rambam is talking about. Of course, all revolving around one mitzvah in the book of the Midbar, chapter 5, Pasuk 6. Ten chapters. Long, difficult chapters. Five talks about the Hirachovshit, obviously related to Teshuvah. Six chapters talks about those Pasukim which deny the concept of the Hirachovshit. Rama said, deal with that. Rama's not going to ignore Pasukim that question or challenge what he says. It's just to reinterpret. Take note of that term, reinterpret. The Rama will reinterpret those verses that he's not happy with. Is that a problem for anybody here? No. The key to all of Jewish thinking is reinterpretation. Almost to an extent, when you're not happy with something, just reinterpret it. Every great Jewish scholar has always done that. Nobody should have a problem with that over here. Reinterpretation or interpretation is a redundancy almost. Reinterpretation or interpretation is the hallmark of Jewish literature. Meaning, I'm not happy describing God as having a physical body, so what am I going to do about that? I'm not going to do God a physical body. What am I going to do about it? I'm going to reinterpret all those verses. Ram says the morning of Bukhim, we've discussed this before in chap- part 2, chapter 25, I'm not happy about creation because I believe that Aristotle proved the eternity of the world. Therefore, I will reinterpret all those verses that seem to indicate creation as opposed to an eternal universe. But Aristotle, at the end, didn't really prove it, therefore I'm not obligated to reinterpret. I can't if I want to, but I'm not going to. Many, many, many examples are given wherein one has the obligation of reinterpreting or simply the choice to reinterpret. Open up any homash. Open any pasuk. You'll see 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 commentaries on that pasuk. They're all interpreting and reinterpreting. Rashid Ibn Aizat Ramban from Rashbam. We've seen this. So, reinterpretation is very much a category of Jewish learning. You will see how the Ram does it in about five minutes. To an extraordinary degree. You on that? No. Absolutely not. I will not get there in five minutes. But I want to keep you interested. You keep saying, wait, what's it? And probably next month or something, but we'll see. So, one should not underestimate that point. Let's say we find a statement, this is almost nonsensical, but bring it up anyway, that the world is not really 5,000 years old. Rather, it's 14 billion years old. The earth is four and a half billion, and the universe is 14 billion. Right? So how can you deal with that? If Bereshit had said, Bereshit does not say, but had Bereshit said that it's 5,061 years, what do you do with that? No problem. I'll reinterpret it. Let's say evolution is true. What do I do? Transfer the ocean? No problem. I reinterpret it. Now, of course, you're really uncomfortable with this because you don't like this relative approach to Torah narrative. Right? Nobody likes it. But that's really what happens. That's what Ramam's doing. That's what all Jewish thinkers have done. Take a statement and reinterpret it. Let's say this is a contradiction between Pesukim. Do we have any contradictions in Torah? Plenty. So I do. I reinterpret one to make it harmonious. I'm not comfortable with anybody's point of view with a contradiction in terms. Can't have contradiction. Can't have a sitira. She said A, B. We, four or five years ago, we had a list of 10 or 15 stark contradictions. Probably. Yeah, I think so. Of stark contradictions. For example, who killed Goliath? You think that we killed Goliath. However, I have a post with the which tells me that El Hanan, south of David Mafsar, one of his Giburim, he's going to kill Goliath. And I, we did, I don't know if you were here when we did this, but you were certainly here. We showed 10 or 15 contradictions within the biblical text. Halachic as well as narrative. So what do you do with all that? You have to fit Torah. Are there rules and guidelines and restrictions? Good question. Absolutely, yes. So I'll just go on in this introduction to the Mother do it. We'll tell you. Only that which contradicts reason or another verse or tradition can be interpreted. Otherwise, you're stuck with the pshat. Now, let's say we proved there were no massive floods. What do I do? That's to reinterpret it. On a more limited local. Who said odds in that context means massive floods? Mitra exaggerates for the purpose of making a point. Do we have other, any other kinds of Torah exaggerates? Sure. The Gemara itself says, Torah exaggerates, the Arim Gedot Abashamayim, where Torah tells you Hashem gave you this land of Israel, and there were cities already built, and their walls were Abashamayim to the heavens. Were they real to the heavens? 
No, it's exaggeration. So we agree that Torah does use exaggeration as a pedagogic tool to engage your attention as a reader. Is Cain and Hevel a literally true story, or is it a metaphor? Is it symbolic? And does it really matter if it's really true? It's Gan Eden. They're going to teach me massively profound lessons about responsibility, transgression, temptation, Sakhar Ba'onish, free will. The whole entire Torah is in chapter 3 of Bereshit. Did it really happen? Was there a snake that spoke or didn't speak? And does it really matter? Not necessarily. So I'm going to tell you the snake did not speak. Why not? Because it wasn't cursed with, with, with a punishment of losing its power of speech. So therefore, obviously, never had to begin with. Sajigon will say, not me. Sajigon will say that. And Abba Benel sees this psychosomatically, that Chava had imagined, in a psychologically interesting insight, had imagined the snake convincing her to do that which she really wanted to do. Recall rationalization. I really want that candy bar, and I really don't want it to get any weight from it. I don't want to get any, any calories from it. So I have to now put up a good rationalization that I'm going to eat and not get any calories. So I might say, okay, I'll run, my, I'll jog my two miles afterwards. I might decide that on Shabbat nobody gets any calories anyway because it's a spiritual day. Whatever rationalization works, I'm going to use in order to have my candy bar and not gain weight from it. Right? That's what Chavah is teaching us. So we have multiple issues of interpretation and where can one interpret, where can one not interpret. Sajaron gives you very clear guidelines, as does Harambam. That really, when you think about how broad they are, what gates are closed to me? What gates are really closed? So we're going to see how this plays out in Halakha bit. Let's just pursue a few more minutes, these earlier chapters, one or two more minutes, where we had seen the Pesukim that denied the Hafshid have to be reinterpreted. We all agree. Because the ironclad principle of Torah is that there is Bihira Hafshid, freedom of will, freedom of choice, that if there's a Pasuk, and we know of many of them, we have to go through right now. We skip that chapter. Many of them challenge this concept. We cannot live with a challenge. Therefore, we will reinterpret. Good. The second chapter talks about a psychological aspect of teshuvah, such as a person should always look at himself in a certain fashion. What a striking statement! A person should always look at himself as if he's about to die. Why should a person do that? Why should the Ram say, the Alam Yere Ada Atmok Yiru Isn't it in time of the free will or in the yes. last month? Right. He wants you to live life. This is in the context of so you have free will and the stakes are great to change. So if so, he tells you, now look at yourself as if it's going to be the final day of your life. So why should he tell me that? Because you're going to live life very differently if today is your final day of your life. Is that obviously clear? Mm-hmm. Obviously. So it's an interesting psychological insight. Live life as if you're about to die. And what's hanging in the balance right now? Everything. Which we'll talk about in a moment. So therefore, he's trying to get you to wake up and live life properly. And the only way to get you to do that is to push you to the cliff. It's an obvious point. If a person has gone through the terminally ill and then gets healed and is cured, do you think that he has a different perspective on life? Right. Okay, good. He will. Now, for sure. Now, could you imagine a person saying that I was at that cliff and my life was saved and I'm happy for the experience of having been having been terminally ill? Could you imagine a person saying that? Absolutely say that. Why do they say that? It changes his life. Because it changes his life, and now that, thank God, he's well... He knows the better way. He knows the better way. So, it's wonderful to have been deathly ill, and yet recovered. If he slipped off the cliff, then I wouldn't say the same thing. Obviously. Right. <laughs> but a person who is really sick, and is cured, he's thrilled for that. He's happy. Because he now sees life differently, and life is now certainly more meaningful. Every moment counts at this point. Right? So that's a good story. So I wants you to psychologically be on that point. Live life as if That's one issue. There are multiple issues over here. Don't think if you're about to that you are far removed from the righteous people, you never catch up to them. 
No, no, no. You are beloved and you are at a much higher level than a fully righteous person. Psychologically, he's concerned with the barrier that you cannot overcome to be a Baal Teshuvah. These are the examples that rabbis are very annoyed with? No. No. We're getting to that now. So the, one more payment at a very good time. Yes. So the seventh chapter ties together psychological dimensions of Teshuvah and how great Teshuvah is. And now comes the eighth chapter, which is going to talk about the ultimate end of Teshuvah. Meaning, motivationally, what is going to make a person do Teshuvah? What's going to bring him to change? So now he's racking his brain. You can imagine him sitting there racking his brain. What am I going to be able to say to a person to change his ways? He's a thief. He's a rapist. He's a thief. Uh, he's a... Uh, he has any other? Okay, but he's more than that. Punishment and reward. Okay, exactly. But not only punishment and reward, but ultimate punishment and reward. So now in chapter 8, the Ramah will describe ultimate punishment and reward. We know the beginning that ultimate punishment is Ulam Haba. Eternal life, we spoke about it. What's Gehinam? Eternal punishment. What is it? Well, here's the first issue that people are very unhappy about. Number one is that it's simply the person who is about to suffer eternal damnation punishment is that this person will not merit to see this wonderful eternal life. The absence of it. The absence of it. Correct. Now, of course, we have discussed two points. Number one, we have discussed already the notion of Lam Haba. What the Ryan's view of it is that it's not world to come chronologically, as many other Rishonim say. You got that point? Rather, it's Lam now existing, but after this world, spatially almost. Not chronologically, well, that's not here yet. It is here. Along that is now here. The world to come is not coming then. It's here now, but it's going to come after life. This physical life. Right? We understand all this. So that we discussed. I mean, not chronological absolutely, but chronological for a person. Right. Yes. Yeah. There's no interruption. Right. The person is not lying, sleeping so in the... probably have this concept of time and that... That era, the Rambams. There might be different concepts of time. Could be. But we have to know that many would be very upset with the Rambams saying, Olam Abba is not Yimot HaMashiach. Many would say, most would say, if not all would say, Olam Abba refers to Yimot HaMashiach and that's going to be eternal life in a physical sense. Ramban says it, Yadonah says it. What? They'll be physically alive forever? Rambam says that's impossible. Why is it impossible? Because that which is corporeal that which is physical has to be subject to generational corruption meaning it has to be, have a weakening of the body parts and death so the only eternal life could be spiritual from the Bible's point of view good is that, is that also the reason why people have a problem with autopsies? in extreme right wing worlds yes in extreme what's the concept of most of the Jewish orthodox world no? only the extreme yeah the extreme are afraid the extreme are afraid of that if, when you come back to your team, if you give organ donation talking about mm-hmm. how am I going to come back to your team any, any if, I give, if, I, if I give my organ to somebody else anything where you right so that, that, that thing has been expressed in extreme right wing circles oh, but in modern orthodox no modern orthodox we encourage organ donations I know saving I think lives minor, I think is a modern orthodox approach minority approach out there today no I mean it's I don't know is a minority in terms of numbers? No, Probably not. I don't know. But the widespread approach was that you can't... I can't what? Heard, I've always heard that. You've heard what? That Jewish that people... Quote, Jewish people don't do autopsy. You're talking about two different issues. Autopsy... No, well, then he's wrong. <coughs> Tell him he's wrong. You're wrong. Autopsy is a <laughs> question of kavod, ha, kavod hamet. Oh, Nobody okay. agrees... No, 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 wait, wait. Sorry. Nobody agrees including my autopsy that one is allowed to do autopsies mm-hmm. that's Kabot HaMet you're worried about that's organ donations they want to be whole and they come back but you could be whole what do you mean you, 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 you get sewn back up that's the reason you don't do autopsies not because you're afraid which, when you come back what's going to happen you're afraid of Kabot HaMet there's two issues fresh body not with an old wrinkled body exactly right I think so yeah, that's a lot of Rambam yeah. doesn't take into account miraculous and God's hands and things that he, he talks about that precise issue in his Mamat Chatem Atim in his essay written in 1191 about 15 years before he passed away because mm-hmm. he was challenged he didn't believe in physical resurrection 
So it talks about the possibility of God doing the miracles in that period of time. And yet, it still is only... He's ambiguous about it, concerned about it. He reinterprets all those Yomot HaMashiach miracles. Meaning, Pasuk HaMashiach tells me, the God is in Keves. The wolf shall let out the sheep. Contrary to nature. It's only a metaphor. No. So it's a miracle. The splitting of the Red Sea. How does he explain things like that? That's a different issue really than we're talking about now. Well, rational proofs and... and okay, so this, you're throwing in a lot of things okay. to this mix over here. Okay. So, in terms of the miracles, in quotes, when the Mashiach comes, again, it's in that source, not over here. And this point is that, Olam the world shall continue on its normative nature. So, therefore, you could tell me now, what is he going to say about Shatamatim and physical resurrection? Is what he would say. So you have to reinterpret it. So you reinterpret it, exactly, because it's a problem. Now, in terms of his constant miracles, in general, he has a commentary in his Pirush Limasekhet Avot, where he talks about miracles, for I think it's chapter 5, chapter 6, in his own commentary, as to what miracles are all about. And his point of view would be that God does not intervene to change the natural order. Because that is a um, demeaning of God who created the world. Rather, whatever you consider to be a miracle, is through natural order, in that, it was set up from Al-Sabir sheet that at a certain point this X is going to happen. Right? So it would be through the natural order as a real part of the natural order. God created the world. God knew all this stuff. Can extend that to the rising of the dead? He does not. He does not. Right. He does not. But I'd love to see that. That's a different subject matter really. So in any case, over here talks about mainly Olam Haba. And mainly Olam Haba is a spiritual kind of existence. And as you see in the footnote below from this which the rabbi has written, that the punishment okay, is the, pu- uh, the footnote below footnote well, it's on the line for you how can you apply rational proof to that to what to Olam Haba itself it's, it's a very difficult concept it's true let's see the next chapter before we come back to that point on the top here he says the greatest punishment is what so there's no physical punishment there's no pain at all for an evil person. Rather, what happens for the person is cut off. Rather, you know, they don't take it up. And the Hebrew Kitzvah Mishneh, which is the same author as the Shohan Aruch, of course, the Abyss of Cairo, right? I'm full on to the bottom of the small writing. The Vaz, they know, in all the it's not going to the Quran, it's not going to the rabbis. Shadeh, the feed, Adivim, Ele, and Orsha, Dam, Shadu, Ele, Karet. The only person of the person is cutting off. Tell you, every person that gets punished. Is going to be with Karet being, being written off, being erased from the celestial scheme of things? No good. Dram's not good. And it seems that he's going to free all the sinners from all punishment, all physical punishment. We all agree with that? What's being said, yes. What's being said? So Ramban has to answer this issue, and he does so in chapter, paragraph 5. Three paragraphs hence, which we'll get to in a few moments. Okay, so leave that on hold for a minute. Now let's look over here. That person is being cut off. Cut it? Yes. He's just cut off. Correct. That's correct. There can't be any feeling because it's all spiritual. There's nothing period. Period. Whatever it is, he doesn't have But that's the point. The Rambam is saying that because this whole story is spiritual, there is no physicality. Therefore, there is no pain. For Alamaba also. Yes. There's no feeling for Alam Abad. Fifty Shabbats and all the pleasure, you don't get it. Let's look at the next paragraph. Okay. That's exactly my point. Okay. Good. So what's the reward then? You will see in a second. Okay. Halachabet. Yeah. Okay. It's chapter 8, Halachabet. That's where we are. We are chapter 8, Halachabet. Yes. For the sake of Bobby Dweck. <laughs> what is Alam Abad about? Alam Abad and Bob Gufiqa, there's no physical bodies. Rather, the souls of the righteous people alone, without a body, as angels. Angels not to be conceived of as little winged fellows flying around. Rather, the angels in the Rambam in Chomish Torah, beginning of this book, Chomish Torah, it talks about the angels are celestial, incorporeal intelligences, spheres. We once went through it. I showed you in the book a series of emanations, if you recall. You were, you were at your house, right? Yeah, I was there. And you were there as well, I think. And it shows you the Sephirot, right. Emanations of God on lower and lower levels of what he calls intelligences that contemplate God. 
It's a Neoplatonic context. There was no Kabbalah at this point, really, per se. The Rambam doesn't mention that at all. But it's Neoplatonic. There are certain Neoplatonic currents in the Rambam's writings. So, whatever term you want to use for it. So, these emanations are do God's bidding. And the, the lowest emanation is called the active intellect, which, you, which brings your mind to fruition. And that's simply a Shaliyah Hashem, God's messenger. So it's not physical, it's all incorporeal celestial intelligences. Now, because there is no bodies... Energies. Energies, yeah. Now, because there are no bodies, there is no eating in Bo'achilav Roshtiyah. Right? There's no eating or drinking. Now, of course, we have all kinds of Midrashim on the next page in Halakhadah, which talks about the eating and the drinking. And he say it doesn't exist, it's all in Mashal. And it's going to be laughed at and condemned and criticized by the Avad, as you'll see in a moment, for saying there's no big seal with that at the end of the road. Like the Muslims. Which is like the Muslims. Is? You'll see in a second. There's nothing that a body needs that you will have to need in Ram Abba. And nothing that occurs to bodies will occur to those souls. For example, you will not sit, you will not stand, you will not sleep, you will not die. Right? Any happiness or sadness? No. You don't have any of that in Right? So now Eli's point is going to be raised. Where did he get this from? So Eli does get the point. Where does he get it from? The early rabbis, meaning there's no eating and no physical relationships rather what's it all about so the king Yoshvim white people are sitting and their crowns and they enjoy the divine presence now of course your question is twofold one second, Rambam. And they sit. Okay. They sit, that's physical. Okay. And they have crowns, that's physical. So he tells you, there's no physical bodies. Because there's no Achila Ashtiyah. Right? So there's no eating and drinking, there's no physical bodies. Are we on the same page of everybody? Mm-hmm. And what Darish they said, which Joey raised very perceptively, so the king of that they were sitting, it's only a mashal. Hida. Hida means it's only a mashal. It's only symbolic. Right? So what that really means, they explained, so the righteous people exist there without any kind of amal or without any kind of physical labor and without any kind of tediousness at all. Now, the question is, where is it? It's interpretation, is it not? The Gemara simply does say what the original line is. Righteous people sitting with the cross on the head. He is interpreting that they're not really sitting. No, but he's using the word they don't eat and they don't drink. Correct. Right? So he extended that. He's extended it. But is that... Does he have a right to do that? I don't think he went out of the bounds of regional logic. I'm not disagreeing with you. But I'm saying, what gives him the right to not take the same at face value? Meaning, they'll be sitting, because that's what it says, and no eating and drinking. Well, sitting is a contradiction of eating and drinking. Why? Why, why, why? Because you don't have a body. So I have, I have, drinking, you don't have a body. How about I have a body of such nature? I don't need eating. Exactly. A kind of ethereal body. Because again, what I would have expounded on that. Well, it doesn't. So watch that. Now, that's actually what I'm saying to you now, what the Ramban says. But okay, forget the Ramban for a second. What does this thing mean? The Gemara simply says, wise people, not eating and drinking, and they're just simply doing what? Sitting and enjoying. Even enjoyment is a physical term. But okay, let's not worry about that point yet either. So the Ramban actually, of course, reinterprets this sitting, saying it's only Berechida, and it only means that, this, that they are... must in, in, in many um, spiritual... Contexts. Contexts where there is physical involvement. Say it again? Yeah. I missed it. The corporeality of God. Okay, so we interpret it. Oh, good, 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 good. Like he so where we... Like correct. He you, like he says you right. must. It's the same. He's okay, good. Good, so he's carrying it forth. So there's no physicality. Oh, no, again, I'm raising the question. Who gave him the right to interpret this? But okay. Now which they said that their crowns are on their heads. What does that mean, crowns? Klomar dot. Oh my goodness. How dare he say this? Crown means knowledge. She had that knowledge by virtue of which they merited the world to come. Meaning that you only get the world to come if you got 800 on your SATs. 1600. 
on each one. So I'm happy to say that Ovajah got 1570, so I'm not worried about him. He's there. He's there. Knowledge means everything to him. Why is it so? Knowledge means that if you want to Abba, you must know God. Da'at Elohim. You must know God if you want Ulam Haba. Let's say that again. Iran is saying you merit Ulam Haba if you have Da'at, if you have knowledge of what God is. Somebody raised the question for me last week, very quickly. He wants to send his kid, take his kid from Beersheba to Hillel. Can his kid still be a pious kid in Hillel? Can he still be a religious kid in Hillel? Yes, yes. But I mean, my kid doesn't have a television. His, his friends do. Okay. We'll be laughed at. Maybe. Will be as the lips as he was about? Probably not. So why are you sending your kids there? So because there's three elements that you have to know about. What? Anyway. What? What's religious? That's what I'm saying now. There's three elements to being religious. One is Shemirat Temetzvot. Two is Yirat Elohim. And three is Da'at Hashem. He will get Shemirat Temetzvot at Dear Shiva. Less so. Okay. But less so at Hillel. Because of the pure environment. Yirat Shemayim, he'll get in spades over there. Less so over here. Right, that we understand. However, he will get zero, I believe, dot elokim over there as opposed to Hillel, which gives you the building blocks for dot elokim. Which means, intellectually, understanding the world, understanding the, the philosophy, understanding the chemistry, physics, and, and biology, which they're part of dot elokim. Which Ram says, chapter 2. Right? He says that over there. So if you, if you want to have dot elokim, you cannot go to... Right. You cannot go over there, you must go over here for Da'at Elohim. Appreciation so, Selim Elohim, where will we get that? Only in Hello High School, senior year, if, you have, if, if you're in Y12, exactly, <laughs> right. So the Ramos point of view is that Da'at, knowledge of God, is what gives you merit of Olam Haba. The Ramos would argue, philosophy, the study of philosophy, is an obligation. It's, it's an obligation for you to study philosophy because without philosophy, which is metaphysical, which is that knowing of God, you won't know anything about God. You think God's corporeal. If you think God's corporeal, you're getting, well, guess what? You're getting cut off. You're getting cut off. You're not going to become close to God if you think God is, is corporeal. That's one of the controversial statements that the Rambam got criticized for. Right? But the Rambam is very clear about this. And now, what's his idea? Because the point is that immortality is true knowledge is the attachment of your mind slash soul to the active intellect, which is a manifestation or emanation of God. Or it could be simply Einstein's theory of relativity. Okay. Time and space relative, and the thing that happened 10,000 years ago is still going up to the stars. Of course. Of and course. That's the energy that he might be talking about. Okay, uh, fine. Fine. So then you attach up to the true ideas, then that is when you become part that of the that eternity. That discriminate between good thinking and bad thinking evil and, and honest well false not evil, not evil and honest correct but the Rama would say you cannot have good thinking if you're not moral you need moral perfection in order to achieve intellectual perfection that's a major so that's evil correct right that's, that's an interesting point which is straight from Aristotle through the Islamic philosophers to the Rambam that one needs more perfection you need discipline in life to achieve good thinking and he's right He's right. the only thinking that remains alive. The energy right. of the thinking right, that right, right. good is the only one. The energy of the thinking that was bad dissipates. Right. Well, you can't, you can't, think, you can't think true thoughts if you don't have the discipline to think true thoughts. If you understand the oneness of God, right? nobody here understands Shema Israel at all. That goes without saying. Nobody in this okay. whole community understands it. To understand the conceptual number one, oneness of God, right? what does it take? Sustained, disciplined, active thought. If you're doing this for quite a while, if we can understand conceptually this notion of the abstract one, not physical. Now you look this. You look this out to explain. But the oneness, the pure oneness of Hashem, which is what the whole story is all about, to say that, remember, if you think God is localized in a, in a certain place, you're a pagan. So God's beyond place, beyond time. And there's an absoluteness of oneness. Now, some people, if you think of one, if you close your eyes, think of oneness. People have a, a number one. God's not number one. He's beyond number one. So it takes a disciplined approach. Now, yeah, if you... Elitist, of course it's elitist. Absolutely. So out of the... That's for sure, million, Or a couple hundred million Jews that have lived... Okay. X billions of people... That Eden is not very crowded. It's how many mm -hmm. have graduated or... The philosophers. The, the philosophers. 
Right well, on the side. 10, 15 people. Okay, well, that's, but that's not the point he's making right now. And maybe it's what we know. One would argue, one would argue, the Rambam, people have argued, and that's your question, that for that reason the Rambam gave you the 13 Ikarim, that you should have at least some semblance of Da'at, true ideas, which will guarantee you a place in the world to come. That's one of the interpretations as to why the Rambam was the radical, why the Rambam gave you the 13 principles, right? For that reason. In order to give you that he was concerned that your Ben wouldn't have it, so if he gave you 30 principles, 30 principles, you have truth. To that extent, you'll be in the basement, however. Have but okay. You have a lot of company, right? The 13 principles, right. Wait, 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 wait. One second. We'll get back to this in a second. Okay, so this is the Ram's view of, of Olam Haba, immortality, rooted in Da'at, but that's an interpretation. Of course, he was criticized for this as well. If you look at, let's see for a second, look at footnote 5, Hadat shekanu lahem b'hayim. That knowledge they required in their life. He alteret tivedet b'sham. That's their crown, right? B'pnei shebahigil lehakarat aboreh. Because through it they came to knowing God, which brings you to Olam Haba. You need da'at to come to Olam Haba, right? Good. Now the Rambam goes on and wants to prove his point. Where does he prove his point from? Ashley Moore said, "Ba'atarash Right? Now what's your problem with that? How to prove his point? Has the proof of Shirashim, but has the proof of his point. That, what's the shadow of that statement? The crown that his mother crowned him. That's literally true. Shirashim, that's a little understanding of the, the verse. Why is Ram taking that verse and reinterpreting it to mean something spiritual and metaphysical? We agree with this question, right? Mm-hmm. Right? So, the Rambam over here knew the Midrash. If you look further at my footnote, Shirashim Rabbah, the Midrash, as Amar Abitzhak, Hazan Okolam Mikra, we went through the entire Bible, we don't want to see it, we never found, Shasta Bacheva, that Bacheva, the Moshe Lamor, made him a crown. So therefore, the Midrash concludes, it must be a Mashal. This, this is rough stuff. So, it's not, it's not there, it's also, so, so where is it? Is it by omission? Yes. Which you said you can never do. Exactly. So it's a very, very surprising issue over here. The, the joy of the world, eternal world will be on their heads. And joy is not physical that could be placed in the head. So therefore it's not physical. So therefore also the way Achamim said over here is also therefore a mashal. Ramam seems to be on weak grounds over here. But it's of necessity to explain this way because it fits into his whole philosophical scheme of Intellectualism that brings you Ulam Haba. Footnote 9. The crown of heads. Mashahu. It's, an, it's a metaphor. And it symbolizes wisdom. Right? Now. Look at one more line. So that's all knowledge. And what does it mean? That will enjoy, back to my text, the pleasure of Shekhinah. What does that mean? They're going to enjoy that? Intellectual enjoyment. She was aim or they know and grasp the truth of Akadosh Baruch Hu. But she not what they cannot know when they are physical, in the physical body. The physical body, which is a barrier, hampers the barrier to ultimate understanding of God. Because the physical body has to eat, has to drink, has to have tashmish, has to go to the bathroom, has to sleep. Therefore, you are limited what you could acquire intellectually. To acquire true, pure, perfect, true knowledge of God, you must be purely spiritual, purely intellectual. Aesthetic. Sorry? Aesthetic. It's aesthetic? aesthetic? Oh, the guy who denies himself? Aesthetic. Yeah. Oh, an aesthetic. aesthetic. An aesthetic. 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 Okay. Right. At the same time, a person who is... Not exactly right. Let's say this again. Was it what? I said most people in the world are yeah, yeah. People that I have met. How can they ever <laughs> contemplate? It's impossible to contemplate a spiritual existence. That's correct. Okay, so you can't contemplate. It doesn't mean that that doesn't exist. You have to understand it to really, you know, to talk about it. Okay, so the Rambam spoke you about it. From a rational point of view, it doesn't mean that. You can't prove it rationally. It means it doesn't One at a time. One at a time. Just finish your point. How much? How much? Not that I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is pulling rank down on you. But <laughs> okay, so the point is that the Rambam is, is, is making this very point. Now, lest you think that I am misunderstanding this over here, 
Look at the Avad in my footnotes. Number 10. You have it? Belam Hazeh. Lashon of Lashon. Right? Now, Haravad, who is an older contemporary of the Rambam, Mesik Arabein Riyomer, he criticizes the Rambam and says, the words of this man, notice how he speaks with the Rambam, Be'ainai, in my eyes, Kirovim Lemisho Omer, are close to you, says, there's no physical resurrection to the body, rather, only to the souls alone. Be'ainai, I swear by my life, this is not the understanding of the rabbis on this. They said, Adin Siddiquim, the rights we will shall in the future, shall stand in their clothes. There's going to be physical resurrection and people are going to be wearing Armani suits. They're not going to go back to the dirt and die. Rather, they stand in their bodies. So here's the Rambam going against the Gemarot, to which he's taken the task by the Ra'avad. They're calling him Really, proof key in their begoyim in their bodies. Helmdim hayim, they're going to live. Put against the Ramba. Give it up. About if Shasha Buri Yasim give it to him, has a court, and possibly God will make them bodies that are very strong. Has a court, a bit healthy. Give it up as the physical bodies of the Malachim, and like the body of Eliyahu, which is an eternal body. It seems it's always floating around, physically. And therefore their crowns are literally true. They will have crowns. And like the Peshat, That's all that I've had for Yes. On the authority of all the rabbis in his time and past. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, on the authority of the Yeah, absolutely. He swears on his life. All he's swearing is that he knows what the rabbis When he's right. Not that they're right. That's what they said. And he's uh, affirming this. And he agrees with it. But he's swearing on his life on the statement. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the truth of it. Does he have the responsibility of editorializing? This is my no, book. no. He's just he's writing his. This is my book. Take it or leave it. Right. Okay. So wait, let me finish. Now, the Akesh of Mishnah, who lived 300 years later, which is the Shohan Aruch, the Bais of Cairo, where well, his first work was the Akesh of Mishnah. Right. Now, what I did, by the way, for homework, but I didn't finish it, was to look at this Gemara and look at Rashi. What does Rashi say about this statement? Righteous people sitting with the crowns on head. What does Rashi say about it? He skips it. What does the Rosh say about it? He skips it. Where's the Mahashasta? We will come to on the Agadah of the Gemara Berachot that you sign. He skips it. Where's the Reef say about it? He skips it. Where's the Rosh say about it? He skips it. That's what they're probably doing. Or they still want to touch it. Now we we didn't have the time to look at the Meiri on this Berachot of Yudzayin. Now the Meiri was an intellectual, so he should be closer to the Rambam. Would be my guess. Meiri, fourteen hundred, fourteenth century, thirteen hundreds. Before, 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 and Andalusia, nor did he have the northern French Rashi school, which is pure fundamentalism, right-wing sort of stuff, right? Provence had the best of almost both worlds, so it mixed them both, and produced people like the Me'iri. Very traditional, and on the other hand, very rational. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting point. Now, let's see if we could find something over here. I didn't get to this in between my pizza. No. Rational and traditional. No, no, to the contrary. Not the contrary. It, it's what we all hopefully would be. But the Rambam went way beyond the boundaries from the point of view of northern French rabbis, which is why they burnt his books. From the Maimonidean controversy centered on this issue, this issue in general. They burnt the Rambam's books, challenged him, criticized him in 1191, that you don't believe in Tehatimetim, which is why he wrote the whole essay. He said, I believe, 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 ten times. Yet I don't believe in miracles and the Mashiach, because all along, because the world's going to go its natural course, right? And then he also burned his books again in the middle of, in 1234, which the Rambam Sermon Abraham wrote a devastating critique of these people called Muhammad Hashem, which we may have studied over here once, on Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings, did it, Sunday mornings. And again in the 14th century, they burned the Rambam's book again in the 1300s because of
church came along and burnt all of the Talmuds, all of the Rishonim, all Jewish books. Massive bonfires because the, the rabbis went to the church officials and said the Rambam's a heretic, you better burn him. And they burnt everybody as well. They got rid of everybody's books. So it was a real great tragedy for what happened in that terms of that. We don't even have these Rishonim. So let's look over here now. Um, does he have anything over here? I don't want to take too much time to look at it. You design with Aleph. Okay. Quickly. Stop those kids. No. No. No, no, no. Okay, no. He doesn't have it either. So What's far. your opinion why Rashi skirts the issue? He doesn't have it either. One second. Oh. It's surprising. Well, skirting that says it's obvious. Pshat is that it what it means what it says. And that's what the rabbi's been saying. That the corporal, they wear clothing. And mm-hmm. Yeah. So why would he have to? So he agrees with the rabbi's position. Absolutely. You made it sound like... Now she agrees. Because he had a problem with it. No, no, no. To the contrary. And what about the contradiction of they don't eat and drink? He doesn't discuss that. No. Because that's what before. Your body doesn't require exactly. Drink. Exactly. Yeah. Now she, they all agree with why that. Why is it such a shock that he doesn't comment? Because when you read the Rambam... No, it's a shock, not that it's not. What I'm surprised about is that... It doesn't oh, mesh with the Rambam, for sure it doesn't mesh. A, and B is because I'm coming from such a rationalist school of thought okay. that, come on, doesn't this raise an eyebrow? Tell me that you agree, tell me something. And he's saying, no, no, this is simple, straightforward. Okay, any part of it, much of the Torah, much of the Talmud doesn't pass rational muster. I mean, we've got to start with that premise. Uh, no, it's too broad of a generalization. Okay, it's so called hasty generalization in logic. Not to get upset tremendously over it. I'll be upset to whatever I want to be upset, but <laughs> but no, not necessarily. I, I, we want to p- look for rational issues as, and best as best we can, you know, because we don't want to be the same as every other religion. We want to say we have something. In any case, so here you have the the the, the, the media does not say it, and I looked at that's about also another one of the great Rishonim, but didn't have a chance to look at this. But let's see if you quickly could find it. But again, I wouldn't be surprised to say anything because. Um, they go along with the, the herd. Yeah, they all went along with this. <laughs> 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 I don't know if I want to be. He does. He skips it as well. So here you have this extraordinarily provocative statement that has a whole. Here's the point that Rashi may not say because he predated the Rambam. But all of these who came after the Rambam know of this massive world war that's brewing over here okay. and nobody's commenting on it. That does not make sense. They're staying out of it. The, now, I didn't get a chance to look at the Ramban. I don't think I saw the Ramban on Berachot. Maybe there is the Ramban on Berachot. But I don't think the Ramban quotes, on, quotes it either. So how could that be? Now, the Ramban, in fact, does have an entire book written on the world to come called Shan Hagimu. Shagimu, the Ramban, talks about eternal life physical when Mashiach comes against the Rambam. That's the Ramban statement. It's not in his commentary first thing about, but it's in his book called Shah Hagimu, which talks about this whole issue. Yeah, rabbis, the later rabbis had an obligation to discuss the Rambam on that level. Sure. Even when they think he's way out. Sure. Every one of his points. Unless they agree with it and we're afraid to say so. No, unless they don't want to even bother with it. Or not bother with it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, the Ritzvah does not mention it. The media does not mention it. Nobody actually mentions What's the meaning of this statement? We could do a great study and write a great essay. We've already written one essay on uh, Nimrod, right? We've written one essay already. And it's, an, it's, an, it's, an, it's a really addition to scholarship to be able to show how, for example, Nimrod is viewed by all later-day commentaries. All negative with the exception of Ibn Ayazal, who says he's a wonderful guy. And was that, why is he a wonderful guy? We explained in our class why he thinks he's wonderful. So that's an interesting contribution. How the history of Jewish literature viewed Nimrod. So too, and I, this may have been done, somebody could write an article as to how this very provocative statement, Gemara Barachot Yafuzayim, has been viewed by subsequent rabbis. We have at least three or four of them over here. And the fact that nobody has commented on it is also very suggestive, very interesting. The question is, how would you find all those sources? But... Um, must be massive amounts. But in any case, it's, it's only a fascinating issue. Sorry. What's the fair judgment to make that, uh, or, or comment to make that, had it not been put up a button, that Judaism's approach to the Habat would not be where it is today? A very provocative question. My uh, answer would probably be, besides saying, um, 
that we don't know. And saying there's a very important, there's a very important article they should read. If you want to read a 50-page article by Simon Ravadovich, who has a statement on the two Judaisms, biblical and rabbinic. And one of the points he'll make in this article, yeah, <laughs> you can't even pronounce the name. Yeah. Yeah. Just an article. It's a great article. Very good article. I couldn't get through it, but I read it. It's a very good article. Okay, I buy it. Yeah, I admit it. It's a very good article. He has an article. He has an article on one article on interpretation. It's about philosophy interpretation, which is very nice. Also, article called. It also is whole series. It's a brilliant guy. Really a brilliant guy, I think. Unheralded, because he died very young in his fifties. But um, his son was a professor of mine at Brandeis. His son, a very very nice person, a sweet gentle mensch. So he. Simon Ravadovich has an article on how the two Judaisms of the biblical and rabbinic which is saying now are very different so it's an important article to read before you come to any conclusions about that Jewish issue. contemporary thought that's where it was I think I read. that's another book it's so there's a magazine that keeps coming out a periodical I don't think I have in the book but I don't think it's in a periodical uh, my thought from the Rambam in this context is that he was way ahead of his time and way ahead of our time in this concept I agree I think you're that's right. That's why they don't comment. I think you're probably right. It's a good point. I think you're right. Uh, but it's, so, it's certainly striking that I don't agree with it. times up to now. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the problem. I mean, uh, even more so. I, yeah, way, way ahead. Very interesting. Now let's look at a few more points over here. Now, the bottom line over here is that, now, the Kisim Mishnah comes along and says, I have to mediate, if I should, I have to mediate between the Rabbeinu, who's Rabbeinu? The Rambam. And the Rabbah, the last line on, my co- on the footnote. And the Ravad, and the Kisim Mishnah is going to say, the Omer, now you tell me this is a good compromise. Li Nid Air, give the next page, not yet, okay, here it is. Okay, Li Nid Air, he says, to me it seems, She'en Hiluk, top line, the footnotes, there's no distinction, Ben Rabbeinu, between our Rabbi and the Ravad, the end of there, and there's no difference between the two, two opinions. It's only terminological. Meaning. Definition meaning. The world that's after death is called Ahabah, which I told you already, as he says at the end of this chapter. And all of those stems of Chazal that the Ravad brought against the Ramam to be helped by them are talking about Oram Tachiyah. When the Hashem takes note of all those dead people and brings them to life. But rather, the Ravad calls them Olam HaTichiyah. That's Olam HaBah after Mashiach comes. Olam HaBah. But the Ravad calls that also Olam HaBah. Right? So it's two different... You see what I'm saying? And therefore, they're both the same. And the both words of the living God. Now, two questions. One question is, we all we understand this? Yes. Was it Olam HaTichiyah? Olam HaBah. Olam HaBah is the... Olam HaBah is two concepts of Olam HaBah. Yeah, Olam Haba is... I just explained it to you before, when you, when you came. Is there anybody lying in a grave? That's the Ravad. come up at the end? As physically resurrected, that's the, that's the Ravad's view. Olam Haba means chronologically at the end of time. Or, right. Ravad so, is at the end of time. Right. Ravad is talking about... At the end right. of the body of the life. Right. Right. Okay. That's the, so that's two different things. Different now, there's two issues. Number one is, does that, is that really true? Do you like his compromise? I don't believe that it works at all. I think it works. You didn't agree with that statement? No, but I think it works. That's my point. The Ram is not going to do that. The Ram doesn't say about it. But it doesn't work because the Ram says this is nonsense. The Ram is going to say, I'll choose the word nonsense. The Ram is going to say, I don't believe this is Ram Tachiyah. If I met Ram Tachiyah, then I'd say Ram Tachiyah. Okay. As you'll see in a few moments. What's he saying that Abad's saying? That's the point. That's the point. Forget Ram Bam. Okay, but Abad's saying, that's correct. Why don't you say what Abad's saying? You might be talking about that, that Ram Abad. The Ram Abad said, by the Abad? No, by the Kisim Mishnah. And then when he said about it, he might agree with it. He wouldn't agree with it. I'm telling you he wouldn't agree with it. He wouldn't hold Abad's position, but that's what he holds, Abad. That's what Abad holds. And that's what he can't reconcile with Rambam, who holds it to a different concept. Well, I'm telling you is that neither the Rambam nor Abad would agree with this statement that the Kisim Mishnah is making. Meaning, the Rambam meant that this is all spiritual, everything is purely spiritual. The Rambam meant everything is purely physical. So the fact that McKissick wants to say that they're really saying the same thing okay. and they're crossing and they're just using different names for it. No, I'm saying, no, I mean a spiritual world. 
And the Rabbah says, I mean the physical world. And what's the ultimate goal of life? The Rabbah would say, the physical, in Tchadim Etim, and the Rabbah would say, the spiritual, in Rabbah. Would the Rabbah contradict that there might be a different time when everybody is raised? And spiritually or physically? He might think they raised spiritually at that point. He doesn't see now they're... He, the Ravad believes in a physical resurrection, that's Olam Haba. So that can never be reconciled. That's what it seems to be. Number two, is notice at the end, number two points, notice at the end over here, it says, Ere Hayim. These and these are the words of the living God. Right? Now, why is that an interesting statement? That's of course in the Gemara, Erovin Dafyud Gemara, I'm with Beth. Which the Gemara brings, always wants to say, which you have Betirev, which you have and even both contradictory, Hayav Patur. Exactly. Exactly, good. So this thing to me says, look, they're both words in the garden, but a half slice of cake. They're okay, they're both okay. If, if, if you try to reconcile, then you don't have to use that, that last phrase. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh. But once you end up using the last phrase, means they're, not, uh, they're reconcilable, and they're both good. It's an excuse. So it's an excuse at the end. So what is the question? I think it's a weak try, forgive me. Exactly. That's exactly what I think that's what you're saying. So anyway, don't get so upset about it because they're both words in the God, and, I, and he can live with both of them. Kiss and make up. He's trying to get everybody right. to get together. Yes. So that is the major issue over here. Right? Now, look at the, one more line in this footnote. Please, put, don't put your glasses away yet. Please, thank you. Please. Okay, better without. You're doing fine. The FRP, even though, that our rabbi did not mention in this chapter, meaning physical resurrection, although he already did speak about this belief, above chapter 3, halacha 6. So I will open up for you for chapter 3, Halakha 6, as he in fact he did. So here in chapter 6, he tells me over here, so it makes sense that he would have. listen to the statement, the Elohim, these are the people that have no portion in the world to come. Rather they are cut off and they are done away with because of their great evil and their transgressions, forever done away with. The Minim, the sectarians, the heretics, the Epicurean, Epicureans who don't believe in a God. Kofrim Torah, deny Torah. Kofrim Tchatem Etim. And those who deny Tchatem Etim. Revelation of the death. And those who deny the coming Mashiach, and the Mumrim, the rebellious people, etc. Follow the categories. What's my issue when he used the word Tchatem Etim? What does he mean by it? What does he mean by it? Exactly. Does he mean spiritual? Or does he mean physical? Can you necessarily say he means physical? No, I mean it's really what he's talking about. That's what I would say. <laughs> Exactly. How can you go against what he's talking about? Uh, exactly. So, that does not prove, three six does not prove... I mean, Rashi is not going to accept. He's going to be one of these other guys. That's what I, I would agree with that. So, According to him. That's what I think is correct. So, he though he mentions... So, he doesn't know Hashem. According to Rambam, Rashi, whoever takes that position or that, never reached Yadat Hashem. Right. Dr. looking the truest stars of God. So, Eli's right, there's... Two or three people there right now. Maybe there's only one. <laughs> so, exactly. people are very easily can quote that chapter. Three six. Yeah. And say what? That he believes in the Right. I mean, out of context. Question: what, what, what does he mean? Does he mean physically or not? What does he mean? Haram He says it. Black on white. There it is. Yeah. Right. If you deny, if you deny resurrection, the resurrection does not deny resurrection. He says that resurrection really means spiritually. No, people are saying people can use it. I understand, but but we have to raise the question that I'm raising now. The last point. And he, okay, and then the last one is he says, you have to have believed in this Tachiyah. Right. And he says in, in his 13 principles, there in the Sanhedrin, 13 principles, where he quotes all these issues, Tchadim Etim, that who you saw, you said, is a basic principle of Torah Moshe, and there's no Judaism, and there's no environment with Judaism, whoever doesn't believe in this. So again, the question would be, what does he mean over there as well? Why should be consistent with what he believes? Well, it's a good question. Now, of course, you could then let's study together at some point in the future time his Te'iyat, his Ma'amat Chetem Etim, which is, I believe in it. I really do believe in physical resurrection. But there's nothing changing from the natural order in that period of time Mashiach comes. But I believe in physical resurrection. But there's nothing changing from that. And I'm going to reinterpret all those gods and Kedis as metaphors. Right? So he's interpreting anything that sounds miraculous as a metaphor, and yet I believe in Chetem Etim, physical resurrection. So what is he really saying? Is the question to raise? I'm just I'm putting it on the table. I'm not, I'm not taking a stand on this because it's been on tape, so I'm not taking a stand on this. All right, so that's you can do whatever you want. Okay, let me just. Um, he says, "Let's stop. Let's stop." Get it? Nobody else. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's around. They're outside, waiting. Thank you. Okay, I'm finished. Okay, so. Um,
Okay, we'll stop over here. But you have a drift to what the Rambam means, and hopefully I just want to do at least one more session to finish the fifth halacha, where it talks about, again, corporeal punishment. Physical corporeal punishment. And what does that mean, and how could it be? And then there's going to be a massive argument on this issue as well, as you can see from the lengthy footnote over here. No, no, no. On the spiritual, physical, non-physical punishment. Right. And there's going to be a massive argument on this as well. So... The interesting point about here is that the Rambam is very concerned about issues of Ulam Haba and issues of Shachar Onish, but the Rambam's view is purely spiritual and the Rambam will use his gift of interpretation to explain that crowns means dot and that there's no physical punishment whatsoever and that everything is wonderfully spiritual. Okay? Thank you.